This is 365 Tech by Suites. Today, we are gonna look back at all the winners of Rochester Institute of Technology's Brick Hack 2018, the hackathon I was just at up in Rochester, New York. We're gonna go through each of the winners and talk about what category they won, how they built their project, and then my overall thoughts on what the winners shared throughout the event. First up, the winner of the best IoT hack is called Laundry, L-N-D-R-Y. If it's shaken, it's taken. It's a real-time scalable, non-crowdsourced washer and dryer availability statuses for laundromats at the Rochester Institute of Technology and beyond. What they did is they built a they built out front end using React Native, using the native base library. They created mockups and designs of the project using Balsamic, B-A-L-S-A-M-I-Q, that's a design tool. They then created the general GUI, graphic user interface, and digital design decisions. They also created, um, using the 3D printing that was available for free at the event, they created uh, cases and firmware and the back end using the 3D, some, some of that was back end. And then what they did, so what it is, is a little IoT sensor that you can put on top of a laundry machine and it pushes how much it's moved its motion data to a Raspberry Pi, which then updates their database and their mobile application to show if a washer is in use or not. They said why they created it. Their inspiration was as freshmen in the dorms, they would bring their dirty clothes down to the communal laundry rooms only to find that the non-smart washers, they were always occupied. This wasted time and it was a mild inconvenience that could be fixed with some crafty engineering. So, with these cheap sensors, they have a Raspberry Pi and Bluetooth. The, the sensor itself is the MPU6050. They're a really tiny microcontroller with a NeoPixel ring. It's able to push a status of zero if the laundry slot is open and one if it's occupied. So, just by checking for how much it's shaken, it's able to, to tell you whether or not that machine's pushing or not. So, it turns any ordinary laundry machine into a smart laundry machine to reveal all that information. So think, think about turning, yeah, so it doesn't necessarily control the laundry, but it tells you in real time what the status is of the machine. Some of the challenges that they ran into with their design was overly sensitive movement, which is honestly a good thing to have. Overly sensitive sensor readings means that you can tweak and modify your, uh, your thresholds for whether or not a, uh, a washer and dryer is occupied. Having to, to, it seems like having to 3D print the case was a challenge for them. Communicating between the Pi and Teensy, familiarizing themselves with React Native was a challenge, as well as iOS fetch requests with the RIT. So using their education's wireless network, it was difficult to do iOS fetch requests. The cost benefit for the Rochester Institute of Technology, I'm gonna call that RIT for the rest of the episode, has a, they have 200 washers and 200 dryers available for student use. Replacing those machines would run approximately $250,000 based off of the current machine average, which is about $650 per unit. Their solution, um, the theoretical hub, it would cost less than $10,000. So that is, compare the $250,000 to the $10,000. That would be a lot of savings to add on that smart functionality. This project was really well laid out here on the, I want to call this the README for the dev, their dev post submission. Dev post is where all projects are submitted within a hackathon project. So they have a bunch of images as well as live GIF mockups that show how the app works and what the flows are. All of these they said were built using Balsamic. 
They also talk about all of their front end, back end, how does it work, challenges they ran into, accomplishments, what's next for them, their business strategy, their target demographic, the, car, the cost benefit analysis. They have little images of the 3D printing cases that they have. Um, yeah, these gifts of the app flow are really cool, so that way I don't even need to go anywhere. And then they have pictures of their hackathon table and scattered wires and Cheetos bags and monster cans throughout. And then they've got the repo and website at the bottom. I really like this submission. I like this team. And Lundry, if it's shaken, it's taken. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and like this post. Next up, best newbie hack. The winner is MyFab Diet, which is a uniquely intelligent diet recommender which fits your budget. The criteria for best newbie hack is that each member of the team needs to be first-time hacker. So all four of the members of this team were first-time hackers. What they built is they used the U.S. Department of Agriculture food libraries as well as Wegmans Food Market, which I, I heard is Wegmans is like an upscale food shopping experience in... Uh, Rochester area. I don't know. They, they Everyone made it sound like it was incredible. They brought in sushi from Wegmans at midnight during the event and the Wegmans guys were very passionate about it and everybody at the event seemed to enjoy Wegmans. So Wegmans opened up their API just for this event. It was the first time opening up their, their food market API. So they, they used that along with the U.S. Department of Agriculture information to uh, create a backend that gave people recommendations depending on their height, age, sex, weight, physical activities, and then inspired people to stay healthy. Some of the, I like how they say some of the challenges that they ran into. I'm gonna go ahead and just read it off. While we were accessing data set, USDA and Wegmans, there often were instances where rate limit got exceeded. There were some challenges and in interaction between different stages of the project. In backend engineering, we faced most crucial challenge of data collection for different food products and using this data to match with Wegman's database, using a different combination of APIs to provide user a list of products that fits his requirements for diet and budget. I really like that they talk about the challenge of combining the USDA datasets as well as the Wegmans API. Two different sources of food knowledge and trying to use the information such as age, weight, set, like all of the criteria that they're using to create this list and then how they're getting, how they're exceeding the requirements for their backend and overwhelming it. I really love to hear how people get challenged at these hackathons because this is stuff that you want to think about when you're building an application. It's like, oh, well, that's why nobody did it like that, or that's why nobody's built that yet, is because that happened. But rather than getting hit by that wall, you can now just work around it and find a better way. Like th these kids, all four of these guys, this app looks pretty cool too. It's got cool design to it, um, pretty typical. I'm trying to see what, it, what they used to build it out. They had uh, Node.js as the back end, and front end was Android. And that is the best newbie hack. Next up is best design. This is a game called Plight. It spreads diseases and create healing zones in the real world, shielding your way to the top. How this game works is you sign up and then are instantly shown a real world environment. And wherever you're at in the real world is where you're represented in the game. You're then able to create zones similar to the game Plague, where your objective is to spread contagious diseases around the world. Once you hop in, 
um, you have the ability to create diseases and immunities, and then you go throughout the game, you spread disease by locating other players who don't have immunity to that disease, and then you pass it by getting close to them. Once they're close enough, you, the, the other player will get notified that they were contaminated, and then it's 15 seconds to, to get rid of the disease, otherwise they're passing around the disease to other people as well. Really cool concept. They, uh, the, this is built using Firebase, using the sign up and login. The map was built using MK Map Kit, which is an iOS framework, and then they used AR Kit for all of the augmented reality. This one's really cool. Uh, this one won Best Design, it, so all of the, the images on their mockups look really pretty. I like how it overlays on the real world, as well as how the, the colors and style they use in the app itself. They, uh, what, what I think is most appealing to me about this is the fact that they were able to make this in 24 hours. I have never dealt with AR, augmented reality, or virtual reality before. And the fact that they were able to build out all of this functionality within 24 hours is really impressive to me. This design, as well as having an AR application, it looks like uh, the team members are relatively experienced coders. But this is a really cool project, Plight. The spread diseases and create healing zones in the real world, shielding your way to the top. Best design. The winner of the Civic and Humanitarian Open Source Prize was Diabetic retino Retinotherapy Detection. Diabetic Retinotherapy Detection. They created a Diabetic Retinotherapy Detection Neural Network. They based it off of a Kaggle competition. Kaggle is a uh, it's a platform for predictive modeling and analytics competitions, so data miners and statisticians, they can go on and compete. They get massive data sets, so for this challenge in particular, I'm not even going to pretend like I know what diabetic retinotherapy is, so I'm going to read the article on the Kaggle challenge. Diabetic retinotherapy is the leading cause of blindness in the working age population of the developed world. It's estimated to affect over 93 million people. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that 29.1 million people in the U.S. have diabetes and that the World Health Organization estimates that 347 million people have the disease worldwide. Diabetic retinotherapy is an eye disease associated with long-standing diabetes. Around 40 to 45 percent of Americans with diabetes have some stage of this disease. So this progression to envision impairment can be slowed if the doctor is detect if, if this is detected in time. However, it can be difficult um, to, to uh, it can be difficult to detect until it's too late. So what they're working on is building a neural network that is trained off of the data that Kaggle provides. So that way they're able to sh uh, help doctors to diagnose this before it's too late. They won the Civic and Humanitarian Open Source. So it's really cool. Their, what, what their UI looks like is it's a nice, clean, modern UI. Green or blue and orange are the colors. And there's a get started button. Looks like Google's material material library is what they're using for all of the elements and components and then you're able to upload an image of an eye and then it'll compare it to the data set using machine learning and tell you with a certain amount of accuracy what, or a certain amount of confidence and accuracy whether or not it's whether or not that eye has diabetic risk, severe diabetic risk, or no diabetic risk. Looks like they, they break it down to three different levels, no diabetic risk, moderate, or severe. This is really cool. It makes sense why it won the Civic and Humanitarian Open Source. It is built with a purpose and can help a lot of people with diabetes affecting so many and 40 to 45% of all people with diabetes having some form of this disease. 
it makes sense to help doctors be able to identify this just because doctors aren't able to physically process the kind of data sets that a machine can. So to be able to use the assistance of a machine in an example like this is really great. These are the kind of technologies that we need assisting our doctors in our very specialized technical, not technical, technical medical and other fields. We need technology to assist them in stuff like this. And this application, the, what's the name again? Just diabetic retinotherapy detection. I appreciate the fact that they're going out and doing this for people. This is a great product for the world. For best reverse engineering hack, this one is cool. It's Watch Me. It's a luxury watch designed for everyday use. So what this team did, I'm going to make this one pretty quick, is they took a watch, they slowly took it apart and took measurements of all of the individual pieces and then drew those up in SolidWorks, took those SolidWorks designs right across to the, the in-house 3D printing and then printed and built a watch. If that doesn't blow your mind, just, just take a sec. These are college kids. Over the course of 24 hours, they grabbed a watch. So imagine running into a local jeweler or a Walmart and grabbing a watch and then taking it apart, getting measurements of the pieces, throwing all of those and then throwing those measurements to make online drawings and then taking those drawings to actually reproduce the watch in 24 hours. These kids, like that's mind blowing. This team only had two people on it. And they, how, the fact that they were able to do that is incredible. The watch that they reproduced looks stunning and it was 3D printed. They said their next step, what they would want to do is they would want to make it, they would want to use materials that give it a more refined look, but that they really enjoyed the process overall and reverse engineering a watch was significantly more challenging than they thought it was going to be, which surprises me because doing it in 24 hours is an incredible feat. The winner of best use of real-time network communication is Dimensional Dodger, which is a cross-platform asymmetric bullet hell. What, they, what I find important about this one is that they used Unity as the, they, they built the game using Unity and they hosted the server on a virtual machine in Google Cloud Platform's compute engine. This is important because there are two other awards in this competition, best use of Google Cloud Platform and best use of AWS, which means that people students are incentivized to use both AWS technology as well as Google pl Cloud Platform technology. Although Amazon has a current higher market share overall of in the world, this is a specific demographic. These are hackers, these are students in college who are in university, have 24 hours so they need to build things fast, but they also want the products to be reliable and free. So, using these tools, just observing the tools that people are using in a situation like this takes into con is, is a good for me is what, what I'm thinking about right now is these are the kind of things that people are going to be building into their new companies like Facebook and Instagrams of my time are my time I guess those are my Facebooks and Instagrams the next people's Facebooks and Instagrams are going to be built using um, Google Cloud Platform and they're going to be built using React Native and even newer technologies but to continue to see the platforms that people are building on and the reasons why and what things are used in the project that is labeled the best use of real-time network communication, the fact that they used explicitly Google tools and the, I've used Google tools and I know how well they build with Unity and they they also do great documentation for students and for new developers. Congratulations for these two guys. Um, to describe this app, it looks like it loads with a single ship that sits on the bottom, and then you can press the left and right side of the screen for the ship to move side to side. 
and then there are enemy ships that come down and fire at you. They fire bullets, so your objective is to avoid those bullets while shooting your own bullets at the enemy ship, similar to like a Galaga-style game. Using, but it looks like theirs uses a lot of lasers, and um, they, use, they have their own design elements to it. Congratulations to the best use of real-time network communication, Dimensional Dodger. And let's roll right into the best use of the Google Cloud Platform. This app, I've been reading through it, is incredibly high level. I had no idea this kind of work was going on, and this is awesome. So this is using machine learning to calculate stellar black hole masses, and in parentheses of stellar black hole, it has SBH. I don't know that you, I don't know what SBH means, so I'm just gonna keep calling it a stellar black hole. What they did is they applied machine learning techniques on OGLE light curve data to measure masses of st stellar black holes in the galactic bulge. Their inspiration. Last month, the people at Google's DeepMind used neural networks to detect exoplanets by analyzing Kepler light curve data. That made them realize the power of applying data science techniques to problems in astronomy. So what they did is they looked at gravitational microlensing, um, which is light bent by the force, well, light is bent by the force of gravity. When a massive object transits in front of a star, the light will be bent around the object, increasing the brightness of the star as perceived by telescopes on Earth. They also looked at curve fitting. The scientists at the University of Warsaw have been gathering um, curve fitting gravitational microlensing data in the galactic bulge region of our galaxy for several years, providing a unique data set for them to work with. The first problem was fitting a curve to the raw data. They wanted to optimize the curve fitting instead of doing the brute force method of trying hundreds of parameter values and then picking the one with the best fit of the data. So what they looked at is the Levenberg Marquardt algorithm and optimize, it's an optimization technique. This is where their, their machine learning came in. So they used the Levenberg Marquardt algorithm and they used that to quickly select parameters to fit the function and then with the help of Google Platform, they used it to rapidly fit over 14,000 events. This is one of the important parts. So picking the kind of algorithm you're going to use in your learning, uh, in your learning machine, your machine learning model, yeah, in your model is really important. So they used the Levenberg Marquardt algorithm, and they used it on Google's cloud platform on 14,000 events. So how did they do it? They used a lot of open source data published by OGLE, and they were able to get 14,000 light curves to run on their multivariate nonlinear curve fitting program. They fit the data using the Levenberg-Marquardt algorithm, as I already said, and it was done exclusively in MATLAB. So they used a tool called MATLAB, which I used in my freshman year of engineering. All and freshman level engineers use it. Uh, it's a pretty easy to use math tool, great for like array and data manipulation and data visualization. They also had a batch script, which was written and run over a large data set. Because of the large number of events, they used the Google Cloud Platform and Techilla to run their, prob their program on several, several computers, several CPUs at the same time. The rest of the project, they used R and Python. These are both the industry leaders for statistics, data learning, machine learning, AI, all of those applications. The R and Python were used to probabilistically determine the bounds on the transit objects, traverse track velocity. The rest of the analysis was done using NumPy and Matplotlib using, so those were modules in Python. So what it sounds like is that both R and Python were used um, on the statistics and probability, and then they used the, the NumPy and Matplotlib modules to, to do some of the other calculations in Python. What's next? I'm going to read this last section to conclude. Their analysis shows a strong indication of lensing objects 
lensing event. Their analysis shows a strong indication of lensing objects with masses about 100 times stellar mass. This is possible proof of the existence of immediate mass black holes, a theorized but yet undiscovered class of black holes. Ultimately, much more work needs to be done to confirm this, but a better bound on distances needs to be placed, and the curve fitting could still be improved. Ultimately, this is a promising area of research that requires more area of study and analysis in the future. That is the winner of the best use of Google Cloud Platform. Next award, Amazon Web Service, best use of AWS. The winner is AWS Wrapper, which is a front-end wrapper for AWS EC2 to better the user experience and add custom functionality. Initially, my thought on this is very, like, I'm, it, it makes me laugh because if the best use of your tools is to make a wrapper which makes it easier to use your other tools, why don't you just fix your tools in the first place to make them easier to work with? That's one of the things I love about Google Cloud Platform. I, I know my bias is strong with Google Cloud Platform, but I'm going to back it up. Their user experience and their user interface are just so clean. It's so easy to know what it is you're doing, to, to be clearly explained in the code documentation how you can use this code to implement it in your own applications, how to use their tools, and then to have a front-end interface so that all of your information is displayed visually well. Visual representations of databases are difficult. I think Google did a great job with Firebase to represent a NoSQL database, so this is a good way to represent an EC2 instance which is kind of cool. So what they do, it uses the AWS API and a custom layout to effectively do everything that AWS does, but easier to use and more organized. So they had uh, four people and they split half the team into the front end and half into the back end. Since the UI was so important on this project, um, an equal amount made sense and they needed to learn how to use the API and write the back end in Flask. Kind of disappointed, I was hoping for something um, more computational, de computationally demanding using AWS tools, but I'm glad that they were able to create a cool interface over top of a database and to make AWS tools easier to use. Great job, AWS wrapper. Amazon Web Service, best use of AWS. So my team didn't win at the hackathon. I had to leave before judging happened and I had taken all the film of the project and a couple of the things that happened like the water pump broke and we had to move everything across. We still had full functionality though. On my, my personal website I added in a video, our, our video of the project. So I'm kind of surprised that we didn't win. We applied for a lot of the projects and uh, so best IoT device, I'm not surprised we didn't win because the, the end user was the laundry machine IoT sensor which was really cool. I, I wish I would have been there to demo because I'm a great demoer. I love talking and I can talk very passionately about the products that I build and I can talk about the technologies and answer judges' questions depending on what it is that they are asking and what the criteria is at the time. So disappointed we didn't get placement there, but next hackathon is Uncommon Hacks in two weeks. That'll be in Chicago, Illinois. So I'll be reporting on that hackathon and continuing to go through the Major League Hacks MLH 2018.